Well, once again, welcome. Uh, my name is Tim, if you didn't catch it. Um, it's been a big week here in the life of the church. I think we had seven school starters, which is really nice. Um, my little boy, Luca, went off. He looked a little bit like Angus Young from ACDC. His little preppy hat and tie. Um, but it's been a big week here in the life of the church as well. Um, I think we had a dozen life groups launched this week. Uh, Cornelius's group had 106 members. So, you know, it's not a competition, but they're winning. Um, we also had a really fun new people dinner at our house. So we had 18 people come around for dinner. That was great. And um, the next one of those will be in late March. Well, we're going to attempt to do two things today. Not that I am great at multitasking. Um, but first thing, we're going to kick off our new series in Ephesians, which I'm really excited about. Uh, but secondly, it is an Alpha Guest Sunday. And all that really means is I'm going to invite you to join us this Wednesday to, to come along to our Alpha launch night. Um, it's going to be 7 o'clock here. We're going to watch the first film. And it should be a lot of fun. Basically, we'll have food and drinks, some live music. And we'll watch the first ones of the Alpha film series, which is kind of like that video you saw. So, um, yeah, the calibre of people in is amazing. So very cool that we get to be a part of Alpha. So if you like week one, then it will go for eight weeks uh, up here at the church. And it goes for about an hour and a half. And simply Alpha is your opportunity to meet some people and just ask those big questions about life and faith. And, um, you know, does the Christian faith make sense to you? And something like 40 million people around the world have done Alpha now. Um, so you won't be the first person to do the course. Uh, in fact, as I said, I think it's my 20th time doing it. And I still enjoy it. So if you want to join us on Wednesday, come. If you want to let us know that you're coming to the whole course, you can fill in one of those Get Connected cards. All right, we are kicking off a new series in the Apostle Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus. Um, hopefully when you arrived, you would have got a new term guide and also um, a sheet with that image on it, which is a little overview of the book of Ephesians. Um, we're going to hand that out each week, and the idea is that you can place what we are talking about in any given week in the context of the overall letter. Um, so why not just like circle where you're up to each week? And you can take notes, you can bring it back the next week and continue taking notes. Maybe you can make a book out of it. Uh, maybe I'm being overly optimistic with all of that. But, you know, we want you guys to really engage in the learning as we go through Ephesians. And what you'll see is that basically the letter to the Ephesians uh, which is a letter in the New Testament, is a book in two parts. First, there's chapters 1 to 3, where Paul reminds the church of Ephesus of the good news of the gospel. So a typical verse would be something like Ephesians 2.8, uh, for it is by grace that you have been saved. And then there is chapters 4 to 6, which basically describes, in light of the good news, how are we then to live? How are we meant to live in light of this remarkable good news? And so something like Ephesians 4.1 says, Live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. So maybe we would say something, Ephesians is something like, Know the story that changes your story. 
So we start with the first two verses today. Ephesians 1 verses 1 to 2. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. To God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now if we go to the next slide, I think I'll show you where we're up to on our handout. That's where we are. So we've got a little bit to go. But uh, if you want to follow along. So I want us to think about three things today. Uh, firstly, who were the Ephesians? Secondly, who was this Apostle Paul? Uh, a sent one from Jesus Christ. And thirdly, what did he mean by greeting them with grace and peace? Well, in the same way that we long to visit the great cities of the world, maybe New York or London or Tokyo, Ephesus was one of the leading cities of the ancient world. Uh, It's found where modern-day Turkey is, three kilometres inland from the Mediterranean Sea, and it had a population of about 250,000 people. And it's been described as one of the first and greatest metropolises of Asia Minor in the ancient uh, Near East world. Uh, It's been described as kind of competing with Rome as to what was the greatest city uh, around in the Roman Empire. And because there was these trade routes that linked east and west, people from all over the world used to come through the city of Ephesus. And what that meant is that you got competing philosophies and religions and worldviews. It was there in the city of Ephesus. Um, And I think you can see in this picture, um, it had an amphitheatre that could seat 24,000 people. And so good with the acoustics that they didn't have electricity, obviously, back in those days, that a public speaker could stand at the front of that amphitheatre and all 24,000 people uh, could hear what that orator was saying. But most striking to ancient visitors, though, would have been the temple for the worship of the goddess Artemis, or Diana, as the Greeks called her. Uh, Diana was the goddess of fertility. And her temple, can you believe this, was larger than any modern-day stadium. So you think of the biggest NFL stadiums or the MCG, uh, the temple to the goddess Artemis was bigger than all of those. And at its centre was a statue of Artemis who was depicted as a woman with many breasts. There you go, never thought I'd say that word in church. Uh, and Artemis was a goddess of power. And the city of Ephesus was obsessed with demons and magical practices and spiritual power. So the temple was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. And the city and life revolved around worship and this temple uh, and, yeah, making sacrifices to Artemis. So interestingly, it was also the regional centre of the imperial cult of Rome. So when Augustus became emperor in 27 BC, he enforced worship of the emperor, who was called Caesar, as God. So in the city of Ephesus... Uh, another temple was built and it was dedicated to Caesar Augustus. 
And he called himself the Son of God. He was Lord. And this kind of cultic worship of the Roman Empire was the glue that held it all together. Um, And Augustus, who was quite an amazing Caesar, he imposed order and unity upon the world. Uh, Indeed, they changed the entire ancient calendar to start at the date of his birth. But starting in 52 AD, about 20 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus, the city of Ephesus began to change. Murd as it was in superstition, competing philosophies, imperial cult worship and idolatry, good news began to spread about a crucified saviour who'd risen from the dead. And this apostle emerged on the scene, a sent one who came from Jerusalem. Uh, Apostle simply means sent one. And he began preaching about undeserved grace and favour and love that was coming from the Jewish God to all humankind. And through this man, Paul, people came to faith in Jesus Christ. And they came to a new understanding of the word Lord. And so to us who who may come to that place of confessing Jesus as Lord, as opposed to every other throne and philosophy and worldview, things began to change. So who was Paul? Who was Paul? Well, Paul is the name given to him after his conversion, but he was actually born and named after the first king of Israel as Saul. And importantly, for his subsequent arrest and trial, he was a citizen of Rome by birth. And among other things, in the ancient world, if you were a Roman citizen, it means you were entitled to a fair trial. So you couldn't just be um, executed for no given reason, like Jesus was. Um, So Saul was born in Tarsus, modern-day Turkey. It was a university town, centre of learning. Uh, You may have heard of Pythagoras. I don't even remember him. Maybe the mention of that word gives you shudders from high school. But Pythagoras used to teach in the city of Tarsus, where Saul was born. So he grew up in this multicultural city, 500,000 people, Greeks, Romans, Jews, all lived in Tarsus. Now at some point in Paul's story, we don't know when, but his family moved to Jerusalem, the centre of the nation of Israel. He became a disciple of the rabbi Gamaliel, who we read about in Acts chapter 5. And Gamaliel was the grandson and successor of Rabbi Hillel, who was one of Judaism's greatest thinkers and teachers. So Saul, he was a fast learner. He was an excellent student. And so Saul grew and progressed very rapidly in scholarly Pharisaism. But here's what's interesting. The Apostle Paul was not initially drawn to the gospel. Indeed, Paul was horrified by the message of Jesus. Our first encounter with Saul is in Acts 8 verse 1, where we find him giving approval to the horrendous stoning death of Stephen. So the idea of a saviour who would be crucified amongst common criminals 
was absolutely awful to him. The idea that this, this man had been risen from the dead was just complete nonsense to Saul. The next we read of him is in Acts 9 verse 1. And we find him still breathing out murderous threats against Jesus' followers. And then one day, one remarkable, history-changing day, Saul was on his way to a city called Damascus. He was going there to arrest the early Christians and he wanted to take them back to Jerusalem to punish them. And on his way, around noon, a light from heaven we are told, flashed around him. Dr. Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, tells the story in Acts 9. And we are told that Saul fell to the ground and he heard this voice come from heaven and it said to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And he responds, who are you, Lord? And the voice says, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. And Saul was changed forever. He took on the Greek version of his name, Paul, but more importantly, he's filled with the Holy Spirit. We read he is baptised and immediately he begins to preach, Acts 9 verse 20, that Jesus is the Son of God. Just stop with me for a second. And consider this, because I see this as one of the greatest reasons for the truth of the Christian faith. In that Damascus encounter, Saul, the murderous persecutor of Christians, discovered grace. He hated Jesus. He hated those who followed Jesus. He was out to erase the name of Jesus from history. And yet Jesus chose to love and reveal himself to Paul and to use him to establish his church. And so Paul discovers that Jesus is alive. He is risen. He is merciful. He is kind. Paul discovers that Jesus is not awful. He is not nonsense. He is actually Lord. Indeed, those were his first words in Acts chapter 9. He says to this voice, this vision, Who are you, Lord? Paul knew the meaning of that word, Lord. In Greek, it was the word kurios. It was the way that his people, the nation of Israel, had referred to the Lord their God. In the Roman Empire, it was the way that citizens referred to the emperor, to Caesar. Paul confesses that Jesus is kurios. Jesus is both God and King. And stop and think about this. The murderous persecutor of the early church would pray this in Ephesians 3, 17 to 19. He says, I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. 
and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. He prays for the Ephesians that they would come and experience the love of God found in Christ. That they would experience it like he had. So Paul lived and he served in Ephesus on two occasions. The one who in Acts 9.15 immediately gets described by God as my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles. That's us, everyone who's not Jewish. He goes to the city of Ephesus. And he begins to spread the good news that this Jesus is alive and that he is merciful. Firstly, a short trip in 52 AD, which you read about in Acts chapter 18. And then in 53 to 56 AD, for over two years, which you read about in Acts chapter 19. So again, back at the top of the very top of the handout. We're told that first he taught and dialogues in the synagogue in Ephesus. Some Jewish people come to faith in Jesus, but he also comes up against hardened hearts. So Paul moves to the lecture theatre of Tyrannus. Where, we met, where he met and taught with people for two years uh, in person in that school. We're told in Acts chapter 19 that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. Isn't that remarkable? I mean, like 250,000 people who lived in that city, all the Jews, all the Greeks, heard the message that Jesus was alive. And there's this great line in Acts 19 verse 11. It says, God did extraordinary miracles through Paul. Imagine that. Imagine, imagine being there. Paul, the persecutor, who had encountered the risen Jesus, is now preaching the truth of the gospel and he is authenticating its power with miracles. So many are one to the message. Many become followers of Jesus. And in Acts 19, as a sign of that, people broke with the city's obsession with power and magic and the occult because the gospel always frees people from oppression and from lies. We read that in the city of Ephesus, people are so captivated by the gospel that they come into the town centre and they begin to burn their magic scrolls. And this then leads to a riot led by the artisans who used to make silver shrines of Artemis, the city's goddess. They're furious at the loss of business. You see, Jesus isn't always good for business. And Paul says the city was thrown into confusion And there's a riot. And he's in danger of losing his life. People are dragged out in front of the mob. But fortunately, cooler heads prevail. And the rioting crowd is dispersed. So Paul then leaves Ephesus after spending two years there. And two years later after that, he ends up in jail where he lives as a prisoner for five years. First, he's a prisoner in the city of Caesarea. Then after a harrowing sea journey to Rome, where he is entitled to a trial because fortuitously he was born as a Roman citizen. And so in 62 AD, 
The Apostle Paul, the persecutor, the hater of Christians, who had encountered the risen Lord on the road to Damascus, finds himself in prison in Rome, and he writes a letter to the church that he had established in the city of Ephesus. Ephesians 3.1, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you, the Gentiles. And that, my friends, is how we got the letter to the Ephesians. <laughs> you still with me? All right, let's finish today. I just want to finish today by going back to those two verses. The very first two verses of the book. Hopefully now we know a little bit more about Ephesus, a little bit more about Paul, the author, who wrote it from jail. But what did he impart to them? What did he want them to know, to receive? What did he long for them to to stay established in? As he wrote to his beloved friends who he'd done life with for two years, as he wasted away in a Roman jail on the other side of the Mediterranean Sea. Well, Paul, the transformed, sent one from Jesus Christ, greets them. Verse 1 to 2. To God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So I just want to finish and conclude with that greeting, that impartation to the Ephesian church, that they might know and experience grace and peace. So Paul reminds them what they had been given by God, grace and peace. In Christ, God's people had received grace and peace. Grace is the Greek word charis, from which we get English words like charity, and it just means undeserved, unmerited favour and love. It is a gift. <clears throat> and then he imparts or greets them with peace. It's the Greek word of the Hebrew equivalent of the word shalom. And Jewish people used to greet one another by saying shalom. And, and shalom meant wholeness and peace and fullness and completeness upon you and all that you do. Paul says, we are the recipients of unmerited favour and wholeness in Christ. Grace and peace to you. You know, they say you can't impart or give away what you do not possess yourself. I could greet you with riches and good looks and it wouldn't mean very much. But Paul, Paul knew grace, did he not? Paul had experienced receiving peace. So he is simply giving to them what he has received when he met Jesus on that road to Damascus and had his life transformed. One of the most grace and joy and peace-filled men that I ever met passed away from COVID two weeks ago in Malawi. I think he was just shy of his 90th birthday. Uh, his name was Stephen Lungu. And I had the privilege of meeting him and hearing him speak 
in Australia, South Africa and Kenya. And you've never met a man like Stephen Lungu. He just radiated joy and grace and peace. Stephen's mum abandoned him as a young child in a public toilet. uh, And he grew up on the streets of Zimbabwe. He grew up full of hate. He got involved in gangs to survive. And he stole and he killed and he intimidated. And he particularly hated whiteies, the colonialists. And he would do anything that he could do to inflict damage upon white people that he met. One day his gang walked past a Christian meeting that was happening in a tent and they decided to blow it up. And they got their bombs ready and then people waited outside the tent with guns and the plan was that as the bombs went off and the people started fleeing, the members of his gang, the Black Shadows, would mow down all the people trying to escape the carnage. But he decided to go in and to listen to the preacher. He wanted to go in and just mock the preacher for a few minutes and see what he had to say. But as Stephen would recall, never even give God two minutes. (laughs) Because he heard about a crucified saviour who loved the least and the broken, and the lonely, and the abandoned. He heard about unmerited grace and love and peace that could come from God. And that night changed his life. He wandered down the front and he became a follower of Jesus Now, obviously, it's a much bigger story and you can read about it in his biography, Out of the Black Shadows. But Stephen went on to be totally transformed from a man full of hatred and anger to an apostle of love and of peace and of joy. And in his life, he went on to preach to literally millions of people all around the world. He even spoke in the United Nations in Geneva. One more thing, many years later, he was at one particular big meeting where he was speaking and he was telling his life story of being abandoned as he was accustomed to do and coming to faith. And at the end of the meeting, a small older woman came up to him and she said to him, from what you've said, I think I might be your mother. And they were reconciled. And amazingly, his mum moved in and came to live with Stephen and his wife until the day that she passed away. You see, God is still in the business of giving away grace and peace to the most unlikely of candidates. He gave it to Saul, he gave it to Stephen. He gave it to me. And as we are going to discover in the letter to the Ephesians, it is the story that changes everything about our story. It did in Ephesus and it can for you. And so as I finish, I'd simply ask you, 
Have you experienced grace? And do you know peace that comes from God? If not, come on Wednesday night. Come Wednesday night. Alpha is the perfect place to get to know the Christian story and to come and experience the grace and peace that I've been talking about tonight. If you want to do that, maybe fill in the Get Connected card or just come along this Wednesday. I think we've done enough tonight. Amen. Amen. Why don't we stand? Let's pray.